Good evening. This is Amanda Manier with the Veterans Voice. I am a veteran advocate and an attorney with the Veterans Law Group, the sponsor of this show. And we have been working exclusively representing veterans before the VA for over 25 years. And it's one of the joys of my job, and not only as the managing attorney here to help veterans walk through the process of getting their VA disability claim, but also helping to employ veterans here that help you all as well. So in addition to that, I get to be the host of this show once a week. Um, it's nice to be back live with you all this evening. And we are live here to take your calls. If you have something you would like to, a question about a VA claim, a comment, or would just like to contribute to the conversation. Generally what I do with these live shows is I've got a couple of topics of things that are currently maybe being talked about in the VA world or some questions that get posed to us through our social media or even sometimes people who call our offices. And I see a lot of misconceptions that are not only you know given by the VA or just a general you know misunderstanding, but even among veterans, some advice that's given among uh, veterans that makes me cringe a little bit. <laughs> and I would like to help you all not have to deal with the process where you are filing appeals and fighting for years for your claims. So if you would like to join us this evening, if you have a question, our number here is 8800. 222-5222. And again, we would love to take your calls live. A um, couple things we do on the show is sometimes we're just highlighting and celebrating veterans and their families and organizations that are helping veterans. Sometimes we're just talking about some things in the news. I try not to get too political. Um, there are certainly a lot of things that are going on in the world right now that has caused some disruption even among um, current military as well as veterans of what's going on in the world and what's going to happen with our military. So I'm happy to talk about it. I'm generally not going to take a very strong political opinion on this because I feel like it affects us all. But I'm more than happy to make that a part of our conversation here. Um, if you're interested at all in talking directly to our office, just a FYI, I fail to mention this sometimes, some people don't necessarily feel comfortable talking live on the air about their claim. Um, you can always reach our office. Our website is veteranslaw.com or 888-811-0523. You can get all of our contact information there. Submit a request for a um, free consultation. We'd be happy to help you out and see if we can help you out. So, so I want to start with a little bit of education. I am a teacher at heart. Um, I've done a lot of teaching around the country with uh, helping veteran service officers learn a little bit more of how to advocate for clients, um, some of the new laws, that kind of thing. I love to teach. Um, I definitely like a dialogue. I don't like pres being a pres presenter and just, you know, wah wah ing to everybody out there. So um, I would love to just kind of sit down and lay the basics a little bit. For those of you who are either new or just wanting to know what to look at in a claim, if you have filed one and received a decision and want to know whether it's something that you should appeal, or whether or not um, you're brand new and you just kind of need to know what you need to follow, what process that you need to follow. Um, there is an entire appeals process and I was working with one of my fellow attorneys recently who's been doing some research that 70% of initial claims at the VA are denied or underrated, which was astonishing to me. And I kind of dug in that a little bit because I try not to get into a very cynical position where when people come to us because we only work in appeals, 
you have to have a decision already in order for us to take on your case. So generally people who are approaching us and coming to us are people who are or veterans or their families who are unhappy with the decision that they got and are looking to appeal. So I always tell myself, okay, I don't really see when the VA gets it right. Most of the time when I see it is when the VA gets it wrong or the veteran is just unhappy with the claim. Now I will be, our office will be very honest with you about, you know, the reason why we don't take a claim sometimes is because, you know, we're just maxed out on the number of cases we can take right now with our current staff and other times we feel like we want to refer you to somebody else who's maybe better equipped to handle your type of claim. Or it's a, a factor of, you know, we may not see that there's, you know, a reason to appeal, but we'll generally be honest. Or even sometimes there are times where I don't think you need an attorney to help you. Um, there are veteran service officers through DAV, county, local county offices, that kind of thing, who offer representation to veterans on their claims and even some, and sometimes appeals, not always, but sometimes. Um, so maybe it went, hey, you just need this piece of evidence and then you should be good. So you don't really need to hire an attorney and we'll be pretty honest with you about that. But I wanna go back up a little bit and go to just the basics of proving a claim. So there are very, there's three factors in order to get disability compensation. And disability compensation is a non-taxable monthly payment that a veteran or their family would get based upon an injury that happened while they were in service. So easy example of that is, you know, injured your knee while you're in service, you get out of service, it's an ongoing problem, and you need some help with that. So you have an in-service injury, and then you have a current diagnosis, so you have some sort of disability or some sort of injury now, and there's a correlation, what they call often a nexus letter, a connection between your current disability and your time in service or your injury in service. So when I look at a reason for a client who is denied, that the VA denies their claim, I'm looking for which of those three factors is missing. Sometimes it's a lack of diagnosis. Sometimes they can't find the injury in your service treatment records. Doesn't mean it's not there. They do miss things all the time. And it also, even if it's not there, doesn't mean that you can't then give what we call lay evidence, your own testimony or your own personal statement as to what happened. And then there's that nexus between the two, which really comes down to a medical opinion um, who somebody at the VA or one of their outside contractors is going to issue a medical opinion saying, I believe or I don't believe that this current injury is related to time and service. Now the bar to that is very low. It's 50% or more. If I can say that 50%, it's likely that 50% chance or more that it's related to your time and service, then they will generally service connect that. So those are the three things. Once you get that decision, there's three things you can appeal. You can appeal the evaluation that they give you. So if they decide that it's related to service, they're gonna give you an evaluation based upon your symptoms that is mostly statutory. Um, a lot of, some things are somewhat subjective, such as psychological conditions and their symptoms, and some are pretty objective, such as hearing loss. So you have an exam, they rate it, they determine based on statute it should be a 10% or a 30 or whatever they're gonna to assign to you. And then it's up to you if you don't believe that that percentage is accurate. It's not just a matter of, well, I think my hearing loss affects me more than 30% of the time. It may be that 
the statute says in order for you to have a 30%, you have to show X, Y, and Z symptoms, and they can't by law give that to you unless you can show those symptoms. So there's that, there's the effective date, there's the evaluation, and then if you were denied service connection, they said it wasn't related to service. So anytime I'm evaluating, again, <clears throat> whether or not to take a case, I'm looking at what's the missing piece of the puzzle and what can we possibly appeal. So with that said, um, I generally will give advice to our clients. If we decide to take you on or, you know, I will give advice to anybody who wants to call this evening and talk with us, which let me remind you of that number. It's 800-222-5222. If you'd like to talk about your claim or, you know, again, like I said, I'm more than welcome to talk about anything that's on your mind that's affecting veterans. But generally, some of the advice that I give um, in the social media world or that kind of thing, sometimes there's people who come back and want to, you know, argue and say, well, that wasn't my experience or why are you telling people that advice? And generally, I'm trying to figure out the most effective and efficient way for you to get what you need from the VA. So an easy example is it's come up before of giving advice is, oh, don't go to that exam. So when you file your claim, the first thing that generally the VA is going to do is look to see if there's anything in your service treatment records. They might ask you for some more information, but then they're generally going to schedule you for what we call a C&P exam, a comp and pen exam. And I saw some commentary on some of our YouTube stuff recently of the response was, don't go to the exam. You should just reject it. Get your own, you know, form filled out because the standardized form filled out by your private doctor. And then the VA is supposed to be required to take it as, as just as credible as the VA. And, and this was by law, it was stated to me. And it was a little bit of a struggle because, it, you know, certain things certain will come down to, yes, the letter of the law may say some of that. They don't say it has to be as credible. They just have to determine credibility and give weight to that but they may determine that the CNP exam has, has, is more credible. Um, so there's some advice that's given in that that I can help kind of explain. I know that we're coming up against a break, but I know we have a caller that I wanna take real quickly before we go to break, um, and then I'll revisit this when we get back. Max, are you with us? I understand you have a question and a comment. Yeah, you know, um, with my own experience, just a moment. Sure. <laughs> okay, here we go. Um, actually, I didn't have the uh, pleasure of hearing you at the opening of your show. This I had to catch uh, up on what's going on. But I got to thinking about my own experience with my own VSO, who was, um, had a good reputation here in northern San Diego County. His name was Mike Schuster, mm -hmm. and this was back in 2005. Mm -hmm. I, I know him. I believe he was with the county. Yes. <laughs> you know him personally? Great. I um, do know him, yes. I don't know if he's still in the system working for the county or doing other work, but he was a guy with a great reputation. And I didn't get an opportunity to spend too much time with him because his advice to me was simply, we're going to just, with your initial claim, and I'll explain to you like this, um, it was uh, attention deficit disorder due to head and neck trauma. Now, I was a paratrooper in 82nd. He didn't have access mm -hmm. to my medical records let alone my service records. And he was basically just saying, you know what, uh, in order to get that effective date started, we need to file the paperwork as soon as possible, whether you get an appeal, whether you get rejected by the VAR after that, you'll have to appeal. But he didn't make a big deal about it. Mm -hmm. 
six months later, I got mm-hmm. the decision. It was a denial. And I never appealed that decision. I've been trying to get back to mm-hmm. 2005, but we recently got denied at the Court of Appeals for Veterans Claims uh, back in 2020. Okay. And I was able to get it back to 2010, but not all the way back to 2005, which was kind of a disappointment. But my point being is that sure. if you, if a person who is new to the game does not get good advice up front, you would think that you would get mm-hmm. it from an attorney or someone that you can consult with. A lot of the times, sure. I shouldn't say this, back in the day, in 2005, I was 16 years removed from the process. I didn't know anything about filing a claim. I didn't even... I was working, and I did. I had my nose to the grindstone. I didn't even make use of my uh, educational benefits, my GI Bill. Ten years went by like that, mm-hmm. and I was out of my benefits. And so right. without being aware of what's available to you, you don't really have an opportunity to make that best foot mm-hmm. forward. Now, Mike did his best, but he was, like, there for a short period of time, and then he moved on to some other assignment, either moved down uh, south mm-hmm. near, uh, um, what is it, um, a Little Italy, or then moved over to the um, yep. operations center there in uh, Kearney Mesa or uh, Alpha Claremont. Yeah, we got to run to break real quick, Max. Let me hang on for the break because I'd like to address a couple of those things. We'll be right back. This is Amanda Manier with the Veterans Voice on 790 KABC. And I'm proud to be an American, where at least I know I'm free. And I won't forget the men who died, who gave that. Good evening. Thank you and welcome back. This is Amanda with the Veterans Voice. We are live here this evening and we are taking calls from veterans and their families talking about VA disability claims and those things that are currently affecting veterans. Um, I am a VA advocate and an attorney, the managing attorney at the Veterans Law Group, and this is all we do is to help represent veterans before the VA. Um, One of the things that we were talking about this evening before we went to break was talking about, um, I was kind of introducing the topic of some kind of misconceptions that I hear out there um, about VA claims. Sometimes it's rumors among veterans. Sometimes it's bad advice given by a a VA representative, somebody at the VA, a VSO, even some other attorneys that I've seen. Um, It's one of the benefits that I got blessed with of working with somebody who is the founder of our organization and working for over 25 years, he's definitely seen it all. So before we went to break, and we are taking our calls live this evening, if you'd like to join us, number here is 800-222-5222. Before the break, we were talking with Max, and I asked him to stay over. Max, are you still with us? Yes, I am here. Okay, great. So interestingly enough, one of the things that was on my topics under misconceptions has to do with problems with a VA representative. So you were telling us before the break that you had filed a claim back in, I believe, 2005. Is that correct? That's correct. And it got denied. And and then what happened was, what happened was I did not have um, enough information to know how important the appeal was. Otherwise, if I could Mm -hmm. have been represented by counsel, even though it was probably a bad time uh, for mm-hmm. my own particular situation. Like I told you before, and we had this conversation probably a couple months ago, I brought up the idea of a change of the CRF, which was um, I, I was dealing with TBI situation. 
the mm-hmm. VA had some very interesting rules that were in effect since the Vietnam War, probably since uh, World War II, where they went from brain disease due to trauma to residuals of traumatic mm-hmm. brain injury, and that took place in 2008. All of my yes. activity in the beginning part, they weren't talking. There was no such thing. I never heard TBI when I was in service, when I was wearing the uniform. Nobody ever brought mm-hmm. up that subject. And if you had gotten right. injured in such a way, they wouldn't know how to address it. They could either, um, you know, medically ejected you out of the military uh, if it was a, a, an obvious problem, or if it was just a personality disorder that went awry, it could cost you an honor, it could cost you your, your honorable mm-hmm. discharge at the time. Yes. Luckily, and I was flirting around with that idea, but luckily I was able to get out of uh, get out of the military at EP, my EPS date and not. Um, get the wrath of uh, the powers that be because I was uh, kind of like a problem child. I wasn't stirring up the pot too greatly, but it was my, I realized that my personality was changing due to my condition only years later because it, my injury, mm-hmm. my disability affected me in this way. And um, when, when dealing with Mike Schuster, I don't think that he really understood what I was talking about. He was just willing to do the paperwork. And then, yep. you know, I met with him like five years later, and this is advice to all veterans. Five or six years later, I met up with Mike Schuster, and he said, you know what? I, I went over your case again, look at the paperwork. I'm surprised. The thing that he told me, I'm surprised you did not file an appeal. And I go, mm. with what? <laughs> I wouldn't even know what to appeal for. <laughs> I'm, I'm dealing with a traumatic right. brain injury, PTSD. I, I don't know how to do any of this stuff. That's why I turned to people yeah. like you. But I did not know at that time that I could have easily just turned to a professional attorney, and we could have went forward with my case if they were interested uh, there's well, another another person who's in your business as well. Her name is Katrina Eagle. She rejected me, just familiar. like you told the, yeah. the people of this audience. She says, no, I'm not going to take that case. But she wouldn't explain why, and she didn't give me a reference mm-hmm. or a referral to somebody else. So I just kind of hung out for a few years trying to wait for the, the system to sort of figure it out that um, I mm-hmm. might have a, a potential of a claim to make. Otherwise, I'd just be wasting my time in the system. And I'm glad I never gave up sure. on my claim. And just kept plugging yeah, away, absolutely. plugging away. Well, and I will, I will tell you this: is a couple of things with um, is sometimes it can be. I don't, I know, I don't know Katrina personally, but I have met her a number of times, and sometimes it can be one of those things of some, but some other attorney may have a more positive response to it. They see something that we don't, because we're all not perfect, sure. and sure. so there are times where it's like. Well, I'm not going to tell you you don't have a claim, but I am going to refer you to some other attorneys to consult. I'll also tell you, I was an attorney for over 10 years and never knew that you could work in this area of law as an attorney. It's not something that's widely talked about. And there was a law changed in 2007 that allowed attorneys to get involved at the VA level. Before that, we could only get involved at the court level. And so that was, you know, some. Sure. Can I? Okay. Um. You, as I said, I went to the Court of Appeals for Veterans Claims. For those of you who are listening don't know, you go to the regional office, you file a claim, and if you get denial, you get to go to the board. If you get a denial again, you get to go to the Court of Appeals for Veterans Claims. Mm-hmm. Now, if you get denied there, you can go all the way up to the Supreme Court, but the next step up from that is to yes. go to the Federal Circuit. My attorney yes. was representing me through PTSD and TBI. He was doing a wonderful job. He's out of North Carolina. But when mm-hmm. it came time to go to the federal circuit, he said, you know what? I can't help you in this regard because we don't go there as a firm. And mm-hmm. finding an attorney that would represent me at that level was impossible. 
Interesting. It just was. Well, we certainly do it all, <laughs> all the way we've, we've handled a number of cases. We're actually we're working on a petition to the Supreme Court there as well. Okay. Um, and Maybe what I, I would say... Seek you guys out, <laughs> but it's too yeah. late. Well, what I would say for those people who are listening to maybe save them the experience that you have is um, there's an organization called the National Organization of Veteran Advocates. It's vetadvocates.org. Um, we are a member of them. They have a, you can go and find an attorney there and you can see what level they practice at. Um, and I would say that even our firm has been one where other people who don't do federal circuit cases will often refer them to us to see if we want to take them. And in addition, Mark Lippman, who is the founder of this organization, he actually loves practicing at those levels. So he sees decisions sometimes and, and even has contacted the veteran directly if they're not represented. If they are represented, it's kind of it's unethical for us to do that. We kind of have to wait for the other attorney to refer them or you seek us out because the other attorney says they can't help you. So there's some little nuances in there with that. But I, I will say that I want to address one of the things that in dealing with a a VSO, and there are many great VSOs out there. I've worked with hundreds of them across the country. And just them. like attorneys out there, there are good ones and bad ones. But at the, right. the, the misconception that I see that often happens is a veteran thinks they gave my, I gave my stuff to my veteran representative, my VSO. They didn't do what they were supposed to do. What recourse do I have to the VA? And unfortunately, the answer is none your recourse is with the veteran service organization or the VA representative. So if you had a, you know, if, if you were working with us and we failed to file your paperwork on time and you lost what could have been $100,000 because of this missed deadline or something like that, your recourse is against us. The VA doesn't recognize any of that. And so I always tell people when I'm talking directly to veterans and that kind of thing is to make sure that you get copies of, if you give it to your VSO, make sure you get a copy that it was faxed or it was directly uploaded to the VO or VSO or to the VA, I'm sorry, or something like that. So you're not just saying, well, I gave it to my VSO and therefore it's fine. And, you know, the other thing is like, I mean, I keep, I keep wanting to back up. I love VSOs, but there's times at which they give bad advice or, you know, our law office, we have an incentive. We work on contingency. So we have a direct incentive to make sure and we take care of our clients. If there's an appeal time period, we're going to make sure that we don't miss that appeal period unless you straight out tell us, do not appeal this. Where a VSO is more like helping you prepare paperwork, but then you're still responsible for your case the whole time. Right. And unfortunately, like tax return, even though somebody will help you file that yeah. tax return, your signature is still on the bottom yes. line. You're the one who is responsible for the outcome. Yeah. Yeah, and you may have a private contract with your CPA that says, hey, if you get audited, we'll, you know, work for right. you and Thank we'll you. protect you and we'll defend that. But that's between you and the CPA. The IRS doesn't care, you know, and right. that's kind of how government entities work. So, you know, you're still ultimately responsible for your case. And I know it's like, like you were saying, it's like you're dealing with all these other issues. And so it's really hard to like, you know, you get a document that's 30 pages long and you only, the only thing you really would need to read is about a half a page on page 29 that says this is how you appeal. But, but do you get there? You know, it's an incredibly right. frustrating and bureaucratic process for sure. You, you, can I ask you a question yeah. real quick? I know we're coming to the end of the, this half hour. Um, yeah, we got about had, one like minute. Go you, for it. Okay. You, I had an attorney. I have an attorney and he's still representing me on an extra scheduler matter that's still pending at the board. But with this matter before the Court of Appeals for Veterans Claims, 
um, he was the one who made the decision that he didn't want to go forward, neither did anybody in his firm. And I asked him, would you shop this around? And he said, well, because I'm personally involved, I probably couldn't find anybody who could make a better argument. You know, I'm having to trust this individual to make the decision that he says, I'm not going to appeal. Mm -hmm. Who am I as the client to know better than to go around shopping around? As far as I think they only give right. you like 60 days to shop it around or however long it is, yep. maybe 90 days. It's about that. Yep. And how do you, where do you go? How do you know you're, you're basically all by yourself in this process with your attorney, but it, you need that guidance. Otherwise, you're going to get um, you're going to miss that opportunity. I can't get that money back because I didn't appeal. Right. And, and, and since I'm yeah, and I, there's nothing to be gained by it. Right. And I, I'm going to just be honest with you. I feel like that was not handled well by your attorney. I know, I, I know a bunch right. of them in North Carolina. I hope it's not one of the ones that I know. Um, but yeah, we're anybody who, almost everybody who practices in this area at this point is a member of Nova, and most people at Nova know that we handle federal circuit cases. And at least being able to say, "Hey, are you interested?" We're, you know, we have people do that with us all the time. So I'm a little honestly disappointed in your attorney i'm sure you are way more than me <laughs> all right we are coming up next to a you're welcome max we're coming up on a break we'll be right back this is amanda with the veteran's voice Good evening. Welcome back. This is Amanda Manier with the Veterans Voice here on 790 KABC. And we are talking this evening. We are live this evening and we are taking your calls. If you are a veteran or a family member of a veteran who has some questions about VA disability compensation, about navigating the process um, with the VA to get the compensation that you need for disabilities, Please give us a call. We'd love to answer your questions live here at 800-222-5222. If for any reason you feel uncomfortable talking about your claim um, live on the air or we don't get to your call this evening, you can always reach us. Um, again, we're here sponsored by Veterans Law. It's veterans with an S law.com or 888-811-0523. Uh, we are here Monday through Friday, eight to four. But I would love to take your calls live here this evening because it not only is hopefully helpful to you, but to those who are listening out there who are maybe having struggles with their claims or just dealing with the VA. Um, people ask me all the time, like, what is it with the VA? Like, why is there such a struggle? You know, it's a non-adversarial process and it's an entire entity that's set up to help veterans. And why is it so hard? And um, as I was mentioning before, like I try to curb my cynicism a little bit because I know with our office working in appeals only, um, we don't help people file initial claims. We don't see their initial claim or their decision. We only really get see it when people are upset about the decision they get and so they come to us. So I try to do that, but um, as, again, like I was mentioning earlier, I was talking with one of the other attorneys here who was doing a little research and finding out that about 70% of issues are initially underrated or denied and that doesn't mean necessarily 70 veteran you know 70 percent of veterans because when I say issues it's the number of claims that they filed so maybe you filed five claims three of them were denied and two were were accurate 
Um, but we get into then looking at the, your claim, looking at your decision that you got and determining is there something to appeal here and what is there to appeal. Um, generally, when we're uh, working on calls like this or live, live calls or live shows, I like to pick a couple of topics to talk about, um, but if you've got something outside of that that's a burning question because of what's going on in your claim, feel free to, again, give us a call. We're here for the next oh, 40 or 20 minutes till about 8 o'clock at 800-222-5222. Um, I want to readdress and just kind of revisit what I was trying to say because I think it's incredibly important about this, you know, some of the misconceptions or advice that gets floated around of, um, you know, you don't have to go to your CNP exam if you have a private doctor that fills out your, what's called a DBQ, it's a disability benefits questionnaire. It's what the VA or the VA contractor fills out to establish what your diagnosis is, what your symptoms are, and what essentially what your rating should be. They don't say what your rating is, but they're gonna identify the symptoms. It's gonna give you what percentage you're supposed to get. And, um, you know, somebody had said to me this week, which has just been turning in my brain of, you know, just don't go to your CNP exam, get your doctor to fill it out. And they have to determine that it's as the VA has treated as credible as the VA CNP exam. And what I've seen in that, and I'm just speaking from experience, it doesn't mean necessarily that's not true, but you will probably get denied. If you don't go to your CNP exam, you will probably get denied. And then you've got to work into the appeals process, which can take often years. Um, appeals processes right now, it, it depends on whether which system you're in or which lane you're in, but if you have to end up going to the board, um, it's at least two years right now, and that can get incredibly frustrating. So I try to give our clients advice on, let's figure out the most efficient way to get you what you need. So the VA isn't required to treat a private DBQ as as credible as a VA. They just have to consider it. So I would never recommend somebody not go to their CNP exam. Um, if you've got a private doctor who's willing to do a DBQ, if at the end of the day and you get the CNP exam and they're conflicting, then the VA has to sort that out. They have to determine which is more credible. And they are going to determine the one that's more credible is the one that has re reviewed your STRs and your medical records. So if your private physician doesn't do that, they are automatically gonna see their own CNP examiner as more, what they call their opinion more probative. It's because they've reviewed everything. So if you've got an up and coming CNP exam, we actually have some guidelines for that, um, that you, if you visit our website or you just search CNP exam, you'll see a veterans law link. Um, it has a downloadable that's going to give you some guidelines of when you go into your CNP exam, what should you prepare for, what should you bring with you, uh, what to do after the exam. Um, there are certainly things you can do after the exam, especially if it's a bad exam. And um, if some of our earlier uh, shows that we did uh, that is podcasted on the 790K ABC as well as our own website, veteranslaw.com, we get into that in a little more detail about how to prep for a CNP exam. Um, but the biggest thing that I would say when it comes to the CNP exam is to show up, um, try not to reschedule it. You can, but try not to. And then always request the exam report after the exam, which you can do generally nowadays within about a week. You can call the VA and ask for it to be sent to you because that allows you to review it to determine whether some, in, some inconsistencies or inaccuracies. 
you have to understand that a lot of these people who are doing a lot of these doctors or physicians assistants who are doing these exams are doing them back to back all day long and they get paid especially the contractors they get paid a certain amount of money to do these so the more that they do the better they are right but that is going to limit their time or could limit their time in reviewing your records or it becomes kind of you know you might combine they might combine one person they saw at two o'clock versus three o'clock and if there's any if it's a negative exam and there's any inaccuracies even if it comes down to you know they didn't do an accurate job of your family history that is challengeable and then you can argue that your private physician if you have one is more credible than the than the VA's examiner so I wanted to address that a little bit just a little more clearly and again if you have any questions as far as guidelines on CMPs please feel free to reach out to us we are taking your calls live this evening I just want to remind you of the number 800-222-5222 I'd love to answer any of your questions that you have when it comes to VA disability claims um, another I'll try to dive in this next conversation but it's another misconception that I hear a lot of advice that's given among veterans and VSOs and even some VA representatives is that they often tell veterans to wait to file any new claims until your current claims that are pending are sorted out and for example if you have a client of mine I had that came to me after they had received a decision it was a denied uh, cervical and shoulder injury that was from many years ago and he got to a point that he could no longer do what he did for a living of um, lifting cabinets and he was a cabinet maker and so he had never filed a claim for and this was years ago he had this decision or this injury and he had never filed a claim because he was he just didn't feel like he needed it he was taking care of his family doing construction and that kind of thing but he got to the point that the injury got really bad and he couldn't do that anymore so he came to me and we you know pursued the appeal and at some point in there he happened to mention to me a couple of other injuries that he had and I was like well why haven't we filed those claims or you know helped you file those claims because while we don't file initial claims in general if you're a client and that's on appeal with us we do just do that pro bono for you but um, and he said well my VSO told me that I shouldn't do that I should wait until all this stuff gets fleshed out and then and then file those claims and there's really no reason for that um, there's no reason for you to hold off on filing claims especially if they are secondary claims and that secondary claims means that whatever your injury for service so say you have a knee injury from service it's service connected maybe you're arguing over you know what percentage that you should be getting for disability and then your back starts bothering you and that's a very common thing where you're compensating for your knee injury and it starts affecting your back and that's considered a secondary claim I didn't injure my back in service but because of my knee injury now my back is bothering me so for those secondary claims there's really no reason whatsoever to wait and when you wait you're just delaying the effective date which you're basically putting off money that you should have been paid um, for honestly no reason whatsoever and I'm not sure where that initial advice came from I've heard that for many years that I've been told oh well my representative told me to not file new claims that it might affect my appeal or you know they wouldn't look at it 
The only thing that I can see where it possibly came from is that the VA for a while, for a little while, was rejecting a claim put, being put on in a fully developed claim because they said you had an appeal. But that was just a fully developed claim. And what that means is you were just saying, here's my evidence, VA, just decide on this evidence. Um, and they would say, well, we can't because we've got an appeal. So that's the only way I can see where it's coming from. But don't hold off on filing new claims if you need to um, while your other stuff is pending, maybe in the appeals department or you're waiting for an exam or you know, a lot of things got delayed through COVID of exams being scheduled and that kind of thing. So the entire normal, um, you know, appeals process or normal claims process or timing got completely skewed. So we'll be back right here after this break and we'll talk about a couple more misconceptions. This is Amanda with the Veterans Voice. We will be right back. To be living here today Cause the flag still stands for freedom And they can't take that away And I'm proud to be an American Where at least I know I'm free And I won't forget the men who died who Welcome back. This is Amanda Manier with the Veterans Voice. We are talking this evening about VA disability compensation, the appeals process, and some of the misconceptions that are often passed around, whether it's advice from somebody at the VA, advice from a VA representative, or uh, veterans talking amongst themselves. It's it, it pains me every time I hear it that I'm like, oh, why did you do that? Or why did you tell them that? Um, I've uh, spent quite a bit of time over the years of doing webinars and doing educational seminars and, and participating in VSO trainings um, to try to help clarify some of these things that, and it's twofold, it's one, you know, what, yes, what is the letter of the law and what is worth, you know, fighting for and arguing for or what is what we can do strategically to get what a veteran needs and get what you guys need before you have to do all of that. So that's kind of what we're talking about tonight. Um, if you, and we're live here this evening, if you have a question about anything we're talking about or a question about your VA disability claim, you're welcome to join us by calling 800-222-5222. Um, I'd be happy to take your calls here. Um, and going back to what we were talking about before we went on the break um, and before we wrap up this evening, some misconceptions again. Um, the next one that comes up a lot that pains me as well is that a lot of times uh, people, the idea of if I have a disability that is determined to be permanent and total um, with the VA, which means you're rated at 100% and the VA has considered you to be permanently disabled at 100% level, um, for the rest of your life, then there's a concept or an understanding of, oh, well, the VA can never, ever, ever take away that claim. And that is true in, you know, to a certain extent, but there are also things that you can do as a veteran that risks that and that opens up the VA to essentially reopen your claim. And one of those things I've seen people do it is they actually reopen their claim. So for example, maybe you are rated at a, let's just keep it simple, 70% for PTSD and you've been granted unemployability because of your PTSD. So you're being paid at a 100% rating. 
and it is determined to be permanent and total. And what that means is that the VA is not going to, on their own, call you in for an examination to be re-examined to see if you're still at that rating. However, if you reopen your claim, if you go in and you say, well, I want to try to increase my 70% to the next level, which is 100, or let's go back to one that I actually personally worked on, that they had a 10% rating for their back, and it was determined to be a permanent because it was past 10 years. So if you have a rating for at least 10 year period of time, the VA says, well, we can't touch that. But he then put on it, put in an increase for it. So then he opened himself up for an examination and then they can re-examine and they can change their percentage. Um, and so that's one thing is like, if you touch that claim that's permanent and total and you reopen it, you can kind of welcome that into them saying, well, maybe you, you know, deserve a reduction or something like that, which I know is most veterans <laughs> fear is that the VA is going to try to take away what they've been given and what they've gotten used to. Um, the other way in which it comes up a lot in the example I gave you with 70% for PTSD and unemployability, and they can deem that as being permanent and total. However, unemployability can be taken away if you start working and earning more than $12,000 a year. And they have it set up in the system now where social, if you report income to Social Security, Social Security will then flag the VA once it hits more than $12,000, and the VA will then come in and propose a reduction. So that's one of the ways in which a permanent total can be basically severed. Um, the last way, which is probably more well-known to other people is if they, the VA determines that there was fraud, um, if the veteran um, committed fraud in their process of their claim, that can be taken away. So I wanna make sure that there's kind of that understanding of permanent total means yes but, or yes if. Um, and a lot of that stuff, I try to remind our clients when we're talking to them is that when you are filing a claim for disability compensation for the VA, you're essentially asking the VA for help to be compensated for the letter of the law essentially comes down to how it affects your ability to earn income. And so the VA will pay you for that based upon that but inability to earn, not necessarily all income, because maybe you're 10% and you're getting $150 a month and it's, a, it, it's helpful. But there's, um, you're really kind of, you've got to to a certain extent submit to the process and and play by the rules um, as, as much as you can. The, and on that, as a representative, there are all kinds of ways in which we look at things strategically. And now, you know, as I always use that word, navigate the process, because it really is that process of figuring out what's the best thing we can do for you as a veteran, instead of just, well, what my fellow veteran said that I met at the VA hospital said, well, he got his 100% by doing X, Y, and Z, doesn't always work that way for everybody. And sometimes people get you know, lucky and sometimes they get a good examiner and sometimes they get a good decision maker. But I'm gonna be very straight up and honest with people about, I'm not gonna give advice to people who to, or to veterans to go do things that I feel like may jeopardize their claim or make it take a lot longer for their claim to ultimately be sorted out. So that's where I'm coming on with that. 
And again, we are live. We've got a few more minutes this evening. If you'd like to join us at 800-222-5222, I would be happy to take your call if you are a veteran who's trying to figure out this disability process or um, want some advice on your claim. And again, as I mentioned before, if you're somebody who um, maybe doesn't feel comfortable talking publicly on the air about your claim, you're welcome to contact my office directly. We're at veteranslaw.com or 888-811-0523. The last thing I will touch on that I would love to talk about this evening is another misconception that I see a lot and that's come up a lot, especially lately, is um, when we're looking at a veteran who comes to us and they are have received a decision and they're struggling with working and maybe they've they're enrolled in school or they're pursuing voc rehab or something like that and they don't want to pursue the unemployability and the unemployability what it is is it gets you paid at a hundred percent rate even if your multiple disabilities don't meet the hundred percent requirements you end up essentially being paid at the hundred percent rate which is ballpark a little over three thousand dollars depending on how many dependents you have um, tax-free which is helpful here in California for sure um, but the other thing that is a little bit of a misconception is that if you apply for and get granted or even if you apply for unemployability you can never work and if you get it granted you can never work again and this has been a shift in the knowledge that I've seen where um, when I first started working in this arena Oh geez, like 10 years ago, um, it was often referred to as temporary disability based on individual employ unemployability. And the acronym actually stands for total disability, meaning not giving the 100%. So it can be temporary and it can be often be a stopgap for veterans who are maybe unemployable currently because of their injuries and their current skill set but they decide to go to school or they decide to change a career or they decide to move and find a place where maybe they can work for a family member or something like that. So it can be something that if you are currently unemployed and as given your current situation with your skill set and your disability, you're struggling with working, you can apply for it. If you get granted, you can always lose it or get rid of it if it comes to a point that it's more beneficial for you to be working or you're working and you want to be working and you're making more money that then falls within the requirements so it doesn't necessarily have to be a thing of oh I'm afraid to apply for unemployability because that's going to prohibit my ability to work at all no it's just weighing the balance of what is more effective for your family what's more helpful to your family is it hey I found a job that I can do and it's in graphic design where I'm not having to do physical work and I'm making you know seventy thousand dollars a year that's gonna be better than being listed as unemployable with the VA so it's not just a straight thing of I file an appeal or I file TDIU unemployability and therefore I can't do anything anymore so there are a lot of misconceptions that come out. I'm going to try to address some of them. Um, maybe not necessarily a whole, whole show as we go forward, but now and then. I'm always going to be honest with you and tell you the truth. This is Amanda with The Veterans Voice. We're here sponsored by The Veterans Law Group, and I am grateful to all of you for your service. And hang in there. I know there's a lot of crazy stuff going on in the world. We'll be back next week. Thank you. Across the plains of Texas from sea to shining sea, from Detroit down to